Welcome back to Contractor Evolution and the next episode in our Wealth Builder series. Over the last few episodes, we've talked about the investing mindset, diversification, real estate, and a whole host of other things to do with making your money go to work for you outside of your own business. With today's guest, we are going to focus on a style that's generally referred to as value investing, okay? So the idea is to own shares in companies that, just like your own contracting business, simply make profit for their shareholders and can be bought at a reasonable price relative to their earnings. These are companies that often have their hand in your wallet already. And guess what? You can own a part of that action. So to explain the fundamentals of how this works, we're excited to have Matt Wood on the show with us today. Matt started his first business running a bike shop back in his teens and learned hands-on what it takes to make money as an entrepreneur. And this is a perspective that he says really helped him immensely as an investor. From there, he spent the next 30 years as a professional investment fund manager, including two decades owning an asset management company that managed over $2 billion in assets in its heyday. Matt understands what makes a company and sometimes a whole industry a great investment. And today he explains his core principles to us in simple down-to-earth terms that any business owner can understand. Our hope with today's episode is not that you become a professional investor where you start managing your entire portfolio by yourself, but rather that you you know some baseline fundamentals about the concept of value investing so that you can have a smart conversation about it with a capable advisor by your side. This was a great conversation with tons of highlights. Here are a couple. We get into what Matt looks for in all the companies that he entertains buying shares in, his rationale, and the simple criteria that he's seen to mark future success. We talk about the major mistakes to avoid if you want to have a long and fun career as an investor. And guess what? There are many. Uh, And lastly, he talks about how he stays grounded and stays focused on the macro without getting sucked into what's on TV, what's on Twitter, or the billion other places competing for our attention every day. We love this conversation. So without further ado, let's dive in with Matt Wood. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Matt, it's really good to see you. Thanks for coming into the studio and welcome to Contractor Evolution. Thanks for having me, Benji. Those pre- Contractor Evolution podcast squats really got me going. <laughs> me too. Uh, I think we did 20 good squats on that one. Um, Matt, you are a real life story of a successful investor humble beginnings growing up in a small town in your teens, you're changing derailers at a bike shop. And, um, and over time you become a highly accomplished investor, largely because of your decision-making abilities. The first thing I want to kind of just hear a bit about is give me like an overview of your broader philosophies and your broader core principles when it comes to investing. Well, I, I think starting out in a bike shop, actually starting realizing how a business actually makes a profit was really uh, invaluable to me as an investor. I, I, you know, I worked with a lot of uh, professional investors over the years that had actually never run a business. Mm. And I'd see the questions they'd ask CEOs and it blew my mind sometimes. Like they, they're just spreadsheet guys. They just, they just never knew that, that where the profit actually came from. Right. It was, it was, it was quite something. So, you know, strategy questions, but 
you know, a, a business is, is really an enterprise that, you know, you take a dollar in, you uh, spend 80 cents and you've got 20 cents profit. So really understanding that, that there, that's, that's where the money that's going to flow into somebody's jeans is actually going to come from at the end of the day, whether, whether it's a private business or a public enterprise. Yeah, totally. So whether we're talking multi-billion dollar companies or a small bike shop, the principle is the same. The principle is the same, whether you're painting houses or a, a bike shop or you're selling software. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So on that note, tell me a bit about like this whole concept of value, like value investing. What does that mean, broadly speaking, and, and how do you interpret it? Well, you could you could describe value investing in many different ways. Uh, some people would describe it as, I mean, I, and, and I don't adhere to this, uh, this definition, yeah. but uh, so, some people would call it uh, cigar butt investing, you know, you get the last breath out of a, of a cigar or a cigarette on the ground. Uh, I, I don't look for companies like that. Really, I look for companies that I, I like to, I'd like to say that they have low price to value metrics. Mm -hmm. And when I say low price to value metrics, that would be price to earnings, price to free cash flow, price to book value. Mm -hmm. are, are largely what I'm looking for. And maybe I'll describe what I, you know, book value is really simple. You buy a house, uh, it's a, you buy it for 200,000 bucks and you've got no debt. The book value on your house is 200,000 bucks. Right. If, uh, if, if somebody else has just bought that and you can buy that for 150,000 or the house next door and it's exactly the same, you might be looking at a value investment mm -hmm. or it could be with regard to earnings. Right. So th this is, um, okay, so maybe this is like very, very simplistic, but when we look at like the, the, the cost of a company, what are we actually talking about? We're certainly not talking about like these, the value of a single share <laughs> that's, it's all over the place, right? Uh, based on the specific instance, but how do you actually say, like when you say like a company is, is cheaper or a company is more expensive, what does that actually mean? Well, when we buy a publicly traded company, we're, we're buying a fractional ownership in, in that business. Essentially, you're buying a slice of the pie. Right. And I think that we, we, first of all, have to get that. That pie is worth a certain amount. It could be a billion. It could be a hundred million. It could be a hundred billion or a trillion right. in today's world. Uh, what we want to know is that we're we're paying for our fractional ownership, but whether it's the entire business or whether it, it be a, a share or uh, no, here, I mean, I'll just make a really simple example. Totally. Stocks trading at $10 a share. Um, the, the company earns a dollar after taxes. Per share. Per share. Dollar yeah. per share. So every, every, every share is, is, is earning, you're actually earning $1 from that share. That's a, a 10 times earnings um, multiple on that stock. Uh, that, that earnings, that dollar can be used either uh, to pay a dividend that can dollar can be used to pay down debt of the company. That dollar can be used to buy or acquire a new company or invest in a new f uh, factory or right. plant and equipment. Uh, so that dollar is a very important dollar. Totally, and and and, and that's what we'd refer as a P, uh, a PE ratio, a right? A price yeah, to P, earnings ratio. PE ratio yeah. or a price to earnings yeah. ratio. Now, you know, let me. Uh, there are companies that trade it a hundred times. <laughs> Earnings. Earnings. So they would have to make whatever the, whatever earnings they're making. They would have to make those earnings for a for the next hundred years to be to have the cost. We would call like the current cost of the or value of that company right now. That's correct. And some companies will actually get there. 
because right. they, they can grow into their earnings. Companies like Amazon uh, are, have actually done that to a, to a great extent. Every once in a while, there's a, a Microsoft or an Amazon. There are companies that actually do it, but they're very, very rare. Right. Where So the market is almost like placing a prediction that they will grow to a super high degree. That's correct. Yeah, exactly. So, and the, the reason I think this is important is because f for everyone listening, this is quite relatable, right? When you own and run a, co a construction company, a roofing company, there's a certain amount of earnings at the end of a year. And those earnings, you can, you can, you can pay those out as a dividend, just like Matt's saying, you could reinvest them back into the company, um, hire more staff, buy a bigger office space, buy more trucks, whatever it is. But you're able to decide what you do with with that money. Now, some companies, uh, th there's a certain multiple of value when you say, like, what is your contracting business worth? Let's just use some simple numbers. If it makes a million dollars in earnings at the end of a year, if it's valued at $3 million, you'd be like, wow, that's pretty cheap. You might buy a competitor if someone said, hey, I'll buy a million dollars of earnings a year for $3 million. I'd pay that off in three years. Sounds pretty reasonable. If that company is trying to be sold for $100 million, you'd be like, wow, there's... Uh, for a hundred years, you'd have to be making this much money for what you're asking. So that that's kind of what we're saying when we say it's expensive or it isn't. It's it's essentially what is like the the multiple of earnings that we're talking about. Okay, interesting. Um, coming back to principles uh, and value investing. So is it fair to say that um, a company that is is that you'd be looking at generally would have a lower price to earnings ratio than let's say a hundred? Yes, yes. My, my I look for. Uh really low price to value metrics overall. So if the market is trading 25 times earnings, I'll be looking for a company is trading half of that right. or, or, or less. And I, I'd further, in, in looking for value, generally, I'm also looking for companies with, with long-term track records mm -hmm. of producing those earnings and those cash flows. Right. It's really important to have, have, have a, a track record of, of those earnings uh, growing over time and the dividends of those companies growing over time. Totally. So again, not a rocket science concept, but I think from just my experience, something that people really fail to understand where they get caught up in macro trends. Um, again, no different in your, if you're looking to acquire a, comp a competing roofing company, you'd probably be looking at the history of their cash flows over the last while, right? So it's very relatable. Um, the other thing is, uh, is something you and I have talked about before is, is people get caught up on a lot of, let's call them like vanity metrics. Their companies will, will be valued on like multiples of sales. There's sometimes crazy metrics like, like, like user volume, website visits, whatever. Like people get like wrapped up in these ideas. Tell us the, like what is the importance of looking at like tangible cash flow and history of strong cash flow? Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back in history a bit. When if I, if I go back to the year 2000, when during the uh, dot com bubble, and I was there, and there were companies that were trading in eyeballs to websites. That was the kind of valuations, or right. you know, a company was trading, a tech company was trading at ten times sales, and this one was was trading at eight times sales. So therefore, the one at eight times sales. Hmm. Uh, was was considered cheaper, or oil and gas during its heyday. It was all based on cash flow, not free cash flow, just cash flow. So a company could lose money <laughs> yeah. all day long, as long as they, you know, there's cash flow. And coming investors in. are still excited. And so a company that was trading at as, as uh, five times cash flow when everybody else was trading at eight times yeah, cash yeah. flow was look was was perceived value. But I would say, what you're really looking for is the free cash flow, the the dollar that the company is going to put in your jeans that you can spend. 
mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very interesting. A lot of people don't invest in this way, though. Like, a, like there's a whole there's a whole group that's much more speculative. It's all about this massive upside that they're hoping to get, and sometimes it does that, like Amazon. Many times it doesn't. Why? Why do you think that is that a trap that people are falling into? Is it just a different approach? Like, how would you kind of make the distinction between what you're talking about with value investing versus some of these other uh, some of these other strategies towards it? Okay. Well, the the odds of finding the next Microsoft or Amazon or Nvidia in today's in today's world are are extremely thin. Are uh, they? they? Yeah, they're they're one in a thousand, and I'm probably being generous, right. probably one in ten thousand. But you know, just like rock stars. We, we tend to see the ones that are successful and think we're going to be the fine one to find the next. And so it's a very risky strategy versus say, okay, well, I, I think we, you know, prior to, to, to um, uh, getting on, on uh, film here, or I should say on uh, the, this podcast, we were talking about, you know, where do we find these companies? Where we don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a risk adverse investor. I mean, I'm, I'm 100% in stocks, always have been my entire life. And some people would say that's risky, but you know, if I can get a seven and a half percent yield on on a uh, yield on a on a bank stock today, that's that's higher than I can get buying their GIC. Yeah, and they're going to grow that over time. So uh, I think it's uh, really maybe I'll, I'll I'll just circle back to this principle. There there are some really good growth companies, no question about it. There are some really bad value companies, mm. companies that we perceive value, but they're never going to go up and probably going to continue to go down. We call those, or, or the street would call those, value traps. And I contend that there are more growth traps than value traps. Got it. And a, and a value trap will cost you less over time considering than your the growth, growth trap. Considering you're playing in the value backyard, assuming you, the rest of your companies fall into the the value, um, the, the, let's say, say the value category. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, one of your value companies might be a value trap, but I could say most of your growth companies are eventually going to be growth traps. And uh, the staggering difference between how good news and poor news uh, uh, reflects in a company's stock price post that news is dramatic and it's completely inverse. So for example, a company that's in the value camp that people aren't really that interested in, uh, their expectations are fairly low. They cannot meet those expectations. The stock might fall 5%, mm. maybe even 10%. Mm-hmm. But if it's a company where the expectations are high and they don't meet those expectations, we can see those stocks fall 50% and quite rapidly. Conversely, if that value company beats expectations, it's high likelihood that that, that company's stock is going to perform extremely well, mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40% over the next um, uh, course of time, short or, or, or long period. Uh, and in, in the case of the growth expectation company, even if they outperform, it doesn't move that much because the expectations the are hype. always so high. And in, in fact, I was in a conference during the when when the whole uh, tech crash, the the two thousand tech crash happened. I was in a conference when the CEO of Cisco at that time came out and said they're they're going to miss by a penny, and uh, and the stock imploded. And that was the beginning of the dot com crash. Just by just just from missing it, by a penny. I, I believe it was just a yeah. penny. Yeah, there's a term, you know, I've heard it multiple times of like um, 
baked, the expectations being baked into the price. And, and the price meaning, I'm not talking like the stock price, I'm talking like the, the, the PE ratio, the, the multiple, right? So when, when a, there's a bet that this company is going to do exceptionally well, right? Like you've got a very expensive stock from a PE ratio perspective, like there is an expectation that's baked in there of performance essentially, right? And, and, and I think that, 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 that's the important bit to understand. Now, um, I want to ask you this, Matt, as a contractor, I run a successful, well-run roofing business, landscape construction business, whatever it is. Why might this approach, this value approach to investing make a lot of sense? Well, I think it makes sense to anybody <laughs> for that matter. I think, frankly, I think it's the only way to invest. Um, to uh, to somebody that's actually running a business that understands where a profit mm-hmm. uh, where where profit falls out of, of revenue and can analyze their competitors, I would say if if you're a contractor and you you so you understand you're in the landscape business, but you 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 get uh, you, you you get, get to see making money. <laughs> well, you get making money, but you also get to see other you know if you're you're doing landscaping, you're probably seeing someone doing roofing, you're probably seeing a house going up, you're probably seeing. Um, uh, all facets of the industry, but you're, you're probably also seeing the companies produce the products that are using landscaping. Mm-hmm. So you've got a really good window on, in terms of, you know, how much of this product they're using, what, what are the competitors using? Are you dropping that product? Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I think it's pretty simple. Business is not that diff. It's hard, mm-hmm. but the basics are not that difficult. It's conceptually if can, simple. If you can read a financial statement and you can see revenues are going up and, uh, and the share count hasn't changed, um, and the earnings are staying the same or growing, I think you've got a, a reasonable window into what, what's happening within uh, yeah. on, under the waterline in that the, company. Yeah, something that you, we, you set offline that I found really grabby and just attention-catching, and it helped me understand it, is you describe this as companies that have their hand in your pocket every day. Do you want to just unpack what that means? I think it's pretty intuitive as a sentence, but why, why is that a useful way of looking at this? Well, the, uh, some of the best businesses of, of all are, are are the companies that we hate, right? <laughs> and you know, we we don't we don't like our banks. We don't like paying insurance. We don't like paying our telephone bill or you know our, our cell phone bill. We don't like paying for the data. We don't we don't like to uh, pay our heating bill. We complain that groceries are expensive. All of these things. So you know, we we have to. Some of us have to take drugs for whatever reason. Um, not not a big fan of of the drug industry per se, but they they, they do have a lot of good in in terms of. Uh, of, of helping people. I mean, mm-hmm. aspirin is, is pretty useful. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the, the, the categories that I would say are have their hand in your pocket, whether you like it or not, food, drugs, utilities, financial services, and real estate. So give us some catchy, recognizable names of big businesses that operate in those categories, just so listeners can kind of connect the mental dots here. Sure. Uh, in in Canada, it would be a Royal Bank, uh, TD Bank, uh, the big five banks. It would be uh, companies that are in the property and casualty insurance businesses like uh, Intact Financial. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Intact Financial that that supplies us under insurance if you have a home. Uh, in the U.S., it would be you know, guy like J.P. Morgan, Chase. Um, a city, city group, and uh, it, it could be all kinds of different um, insurance companies yeah. that would fit that. Pfizer, Merck, Bristol Myers, Lilly in in the in the category of of drugs, Arma. and then you you go into uh, real estate companies. I mean, I could, you could say uh, I don't, I mean, some of, some of them that I, I'm interested in right now: Hunt, Hunt, Hudson Pacific Properties, 
you can move into uh, uh, insurance like Aflac. Uh, then you've got uh, AT&T, all your telecom companies. But I would also say that you know, utilities in terms of your power companies, and here, here we, I, I won't name names because, uh, you know, obviously a lot of your, your listeners are going to be in both countries. Um, but, but uh, you know, in, in the power uh, sector, uh, in, well, I mean, I'll give you a few, like uh, Fortis in Canada, yeah. Amera in Canada. And then you, I, I'd say, you know, in the utility category now, you've, you've also got communications companies mm-hmm. that are really... I think they're really important. And I, I would contend that, you know, uh, Elon unfortunately took uh, Twitter private. Right. But I say that's one of the biggest utilities on the planet right now. It is. So it is, would it be too simplistic to say that a lot of these, and I'm sure there's a nuance to this, but a lot of these are really big, kind of boring, well-established businesses that you yourself kind of hate interacting with as a consumer. I just spent an hour on the phone with with Telus the other day, and I said, that that was an hour and a half, I getting charged up the ass for this. That was so annoying. But I, I thought to myself, that's probably a really good business. They make money. They make a ton of money. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's just- and you can own it. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. I'm just I'm I'm asking about like the lens that Matt's look that Matt Matt looks at it through. It's it's uh it's it's a business that is at ha- that has its hands in your pocket almost every day of the week, and that's that's maybe instructive for finding good value bets. If you if you find you're upset because you think you're getting ripped off by that company, buy their stock. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. That's the sound. And, and Matt, is, I think it's fair to say, like, it's not that they're all well run. There's still like some serious due diligence and analysis. But but the starting point, you're saying like the fundamental is really quite simple, which is like they run a business to take in dollars, pay less than they take in in costs and make profit. That's kind of what's going on. Just like you running your construction company, right? And you're not paying too much for the stock. You've, you've, and you're paying, not paying too much. There you go. That's, that's <laughs> really, really key thing. You got to get that one yeah, right. Exactly. But so, that's that's fundamentally different. Sorry to cut you up. That's fundamentally different than trying to find the next NVIDIA and hoping that you're on a rocket ship ride. Hoping you're on a rocket ship ride. Those are fundamentally different fundamentally ways different of approaching approaches. investing. 100%. And that's why we're having this conversation with Matt. So it's just, Absolutely. it's worth really fleshing out here awesome. at the beginning. And and one, one other thing I want to say, like earlier on in this series, we had Darcy on it. I remember one of the big things she's saying is like, just understand that as a contractor, you are heavily niched into the real estate industry to our Americans were niched in the, in the, in the industry. <laughs> um, it, and this is a really also just neat way to get into stuff that you are not and put your money into areas and things that you are not that are still very well-run companies. Just like you run a really good roofing company or a good landscaping company, there's all kinds of people that run really great companies in auto parts manufacturing or in financials or whatever. Right. So I, I think that, that that's a pretty powerful point. So um, on the note of what we're talking about, I have a really important question for you, Matt. And that is, what does excellence look like in this value investing space? Right. And and by that, I'm, I want to hear, like, what are the kind of the five, six elements that you would be looking for, like very concrete elements that you're looking for when you're looking to identify or a company to get into and analyze? And the reason I'm asking you this question 
And just for context for our listeners is that, you know, you, your expertise is to run a contracting company. It's not to be a professional investor, but I think it's really interesting for us to get Matt's take on this because to have a conceptual understanding of this, at least will allow you to talk to your investment advisor coherently and effectively about this stuff and be able to have a good, good, clear conversation with them. So that's kind of what, why I want to hear just like high level what does excellence look like? What are you looking for when you'd even think about analyzing a company? Well, the first place I go to is the 52-week low list to try to find companies. So Interesting. Something, companies that are at their lows. Something, okay. something <laughs> usually has had to go wrong <laughs> for me to be interested. Okay. But, it, 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 like, you know, I, I think I mentioned earlier that before the podcast that, you know, I, I, I can't recall recall whether it was Peter Lynch or Warren Buffett said, um, you know, buy a company that any fool can run because eventually a fool will run it. Right. And therefore, a, you know, an excellent business is more important than, than the excellent, um, mm. the, the excellent people running it. Not, to, not to mention, I mean, it, obviously you want excellent people running, but, but it's very, very, very difficult to, to do that to, sustained to figure yeah. that out. Yeah. Over and, a long period of time. And if you're, a, a, you know, an excellent business, if you're a Canadian bank, you have a license. To bank it. Yeah, pretty, you're, you're, you're that guy. Yeah. So it's really hard to, to screw that up. I mean, although some probably will over time. And smaller businesses, absolutely. But most important to me, most important investment principle to me with management teams, is they must be honest. You cannot, you cannot make money with dishonest people ever. Mm-hmm. You, you just won't. Uh, you might accidentally every right. once in a while, but you cannot make money with dishonest people. So Interesting. If, you, if there's so that's an important principle, very important principle. Yeah. Um, one other thing you said, like uh, you're rarely kind of in smaller companies. Um, is it uh, fair to say like you're generally looking at larger organizations like billion dollar plus market cap? Yes. It, it's important to have liquidity. And right. it's it, it's important to, for me to be able to enter a position and exit a position. Right. So and these are not small, little, obscure companies. Like you're generally in like fairly large, well-known companies that people trade. I am. And every once in a while, value will show up in one particular area where there's a lot of small companies and the value might show up in smaller companies. That might be where, in this mm-hmm. market, where almost the entire market cap of the globe is being taken up by probably two or 300 companies. So more and more money has gone into fewer and fewer companies right. over the last 13 years. It's, it's staggering Interesting. what's happened. And when the money flows you know, to a trillion dollar market, if $100 million, you know, $100 million flows to a trillion dollar company, it doesn't move the needle. But mm. if it came out of a $200 million company mm-hmm. to get there, that company's down 50%. So I might find tremendous value in smaller companies. But if I'm looking at smaller companies, I still want to get to a billion market cap. So I might buy 10, 100 million market cap companies right. if I was trying to get to the same position. Right. Gotcha. Okay. That, 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 that makes sense. Um, tell me about debt. What, what's, what's your view on that in companies? What are you looking for? Debt is, debt is extremely dangerous. A company without debt can't go broke. We all know that. You've got no mortgage on your house. It's you're rocket science principle. Right there. <laughs> it's amazing how many people don't understand that. So uh, debt, debt is a, a, it, it, it's a real, um, it can work for you or against you. Right, right now, when interest rates have gone from 2% to 8 yeah. it, it's really working against a lot of companies. Right. And it's, it's showing up the stress in, uh, in the real estate sector right now. Uh, so, uh, you know, here, here's how it works, okay? 
So as cap rates declined for 15 years in, in real estate, it went, you know, here cap rates probably went from eight till eight to, you know, three or four. Uh, so now your real estate's fallen. All, all your debt has to be uh, renewed at or High refinanced yeah. at, at twice the rate. The bank is ac- asking for more equity. It could be really, it, it could be terminal. For, for a company in that, totally. but, but a, a real estate company that has no debt, has no issues right now. And in yeah. fact, is in an extremely advantageous. Yeah. Uh, so you, you as a more cautious investor, you're generally looking at companies that have no debt or very little debt as compared to the size that they are. Uh, we talked about large companies. Um, tell me, you're, you're talking about real estate. Um, when you're buying as compared to what the net asset base is in that company, like what, what are you generally looking for? Well, let, let me circle back on the debt first. Sure. Because it, it's very hard to find a company with very little debt or no debt. Okay. There are a few. Um, unfortunately, you know, most of the time you find a company with no debt, it's usually in a very volatile sector like biotech. Mm-hmm. But uh, a real estate company is probably going to have 40% debt. Um, banks, you can't even talk about their debt. Um, industrial companies are probably running 40 to 50, maybe even 60%. But when you, when you have, uh, when you, when you have a, a more than that, when it gets to 60, 70, 80%. Sorry, is that of annual revenue or annual cash pro- free cash flow? Uh, of, of the capital. Of the capital. Yeah. So, so of the capital structure yeah, and, yeah. and that get, that's where it starts getting, uh, so generally, I mean, 50% debt or under is, is, is pretty okay. It's pretty okay. Gotcha. What, what numbers would you be in where you're starting to get a bit alarmed? Uh, over a hundred percent. Over a hundred percent. And, and, but it, it also, it all de- also depends on the type of company. Yeah. I mean, some can hold a utility can handle a lot more debt than a tech company. Interesting. Makes sense. Um, let's talk about net asset bases. Like we, we all understand real estate quite well, um, where you have valuations of it. Like how are you looking at, 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 at cost of the company versus the, the asset base inside of it? Okay. Uh, great question because real estate, I mean, I'm doing a deep dive on real estate right now. Re- re- I, mean, I said, I look at the 52 week lows. Everybody loved real estate for, you know, uh, two decades. Mm-hmm. And now it, the real estate investment trusts, uh, both, uh, both sides of the border have just gotten annihilated. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're down anywhere from 50 to in some cases, almost 80%. Yeah. And just, just to, uh, sorry, to attention to their, a real estate investment trust or REIT, they own a whole bunch of real estate. Yeah, it's a, real so estate. it's a corporation that just owns a ton of real estate, just like you and 10 of your buddies might get together and buy a bunch of real estate. The big REIT that's publicly traded is doing that at a much larger scale. Correct. Publicly yeah. traded real estate company that, yeah. that does what we might do as partners buying real estate. Yeah. If the three of us bought a bunch of real estate, these guys are just doing it at a thousand times the scale. Yes. So, right. so they're in the bargain basement right now, or are they? <laughs> That's the question. That's the question. <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest mistake I make all the time is when I, whenever I think I found a bargain, I'm almost way too early. Yeah. And then <laughs> it gets way worse before it, it gets better. So, you know, if, if I were analyzing real estate today, well, I have to think, okay, well, uh, the the NAV of that, let's say it's a hundred million, just for to make it really simple, yeah. hundred million market cap company, the real estate's worth 150 million. Right. So, so it's trading so below- the, the, the market is, it, it's kind of like it's on the real estate listings, if you will, for a hundred million. That's what you're saying. Because that's, that's what market cap means, is it's total, total value on the market. But the NAV, by the way, is net asset value, right? So- the net asset value of what it's worth, less the 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 mortgages, essentially the debt on it, is let's say 150 million. Yeah. So what we're saying is that the you're you're able to buy the buildings 
cheaper by buying the publicly traded stock than if you and I walked in to buy those buildings directly. Right. And, and that, that's value. However, we've also got the problem of rising interest rates. If interest rates stay high for longer, and will they be able to raise the rents on the buildings that right. they own to the extent that they can cover the higher interest cost. Yeah. So that's where it gets more problematic. Investing is at the same time extremely simple and extremely complex. Yeah, totally. But generally speaking, you're you're looking at positive net asset values compared to what to what they're what they're technically worth on the market. Yeah, gotcha. Um, you mentioned one other interesting one, like the, related to trends. Um, like everyone's kind of going in one direction. You talk about this fifty-two week low list. There is you're often I, I know looking at at this men, herd mentality logic when everyone is like essentially beating something up as a conceptual idea. Um, other ones that might be relevant right now would be um, carbon emitting like oil and gas companies that like like carbon fuel um, is just it's not. A hot topic right now in the world, but uh, but we're we're seeing a bit of like a turnaround in that. Tell me a bit about this like this mentality. People look at something in a very specific way, and then all of a sudden it's all over the news, and and everyone's got a certain view on it. Like, how do you see that that whole thing? Human beings often want to believe something that's not true. Mm. I've seen it happen over and over again. Mm. We we saw it in in every different. Let's go. I mean, we talked about the dot com bubble in in the two thousand, and then. We had another uh, great bubble blow up in, in energy and materials, and that kind of ended in about 2014, where uh, peak oil came back. Now, peak oil is, is, was the idea that we're running out. We've, we've tapped out all the easy-to-find oil yeah. and gas, and we're going to see it's going to go to two, 300, and we're going to fight global wars over this depleting asset. But The, the world's going to run out of fuel. Basically. I remember yeah. watching I remember documentaries on that as yeah. a kid. We're going to run out of, yeah. out, out, of, mm-hmm. out of fossil fuels. Right. And, and, but that, that argument's come up multiple times. And if we go back and read history— History is really interesting. There was a, a book written in, in 1875. It was, it was called The Cold Question, Inquiring to the Exhaustion of Coal Supplies in the UK. Now, that was in 1875. They, they were essentially, somebody wrote a book on peak coal, yet we have 500 years supply today. And so there, there are these belief systems that eventually get crushed. Yeah, yeah. At the end, you know, the end of oil, like we're all going to go to alternative energy and sustainable and renewable energy. And I, I believe the uh, by 2035, Matt. Yeah, would you believe it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> but had you had you bought into that in the last little while, your your alternative energy companies, right? Your alternative energy companies, your renewables, sustainable. Which are what they're making lithium batteries. They're creating. Oh, they're wind. You know, wind farms. Okay. Uh, all mm-hmm. ki- all kinds of different um, battery manufacturers. What, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. those stocks are down. I mean, I, I mean, staggering amounts, 50 to 95%. At the same time, coal stocks have risen, risen 600%. And so, you know, we're, we're seeing coal being brought back in the UK, coal being brought, bought, brought back in Germany. So beside every um, wind farm <laughs> is a natural gas plant. Why do you do you want to comment more on what's going on there in the, from a human psychology perspective? Because you said it really well. Human human beings want to believe things that aren't true, and you can see this. We're talking about this in an investment conversation, but you can see this in our political spectrum. You can see this in the family unit. You can see this 
everywhere in life. I just wonder if you have a more, like if we take a step back from this and have a philosophical conversation about what the hell is going on there, do you, do you have a take on that? Yeah, I think uh, truth is like gravity. Eventually it hits the floor with a thud. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think you can fly off a building, you, you can't. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have the You're going to find out. You're going to find out at some point. It's all going to be okay as you go, you know, from the 30th floor down to the 10th. And that, but uh, you're very close to the truth being uh, revealed. And here's, here's an example. Okay. So let's, let's get back to energy because I, I think it's really rele- sure. relevant right now. Uh, so, you know, I'm 100 hours into my pilot's license and really interested in aircraft. And, and so I, I've been following the electric aircraft. Uh, very carefully. So with regard to like, is it true that the, the electric car is more efficient than the internal combustion engine? I think it depends on how you, how you define efficient and how broadly you want to look at the impact. You got to go right back to where the electron is produced. Right. First of all. Okay. So most people don't realize that the electron the supply that comes grid out of that the charges the, the <laughs> where, where, where did it come from? Yeah. And, is, and is it more efficient to produce the power right at the source or not. So here's, here's an example, okay? So there's, there's the, in, an aircraft, it's an electric, it, it's made in two versions. It's a light sport aircraft. It's made in, in both electric and a 100 horsepower Rotax engine. The, the, the numbers are staggering in these two aircraft. So the electric version, it has a climb rate, I think of about 600 feet per minute. The, um, the internal combustion is 1600 feet per minute. The endurance is five and a half hours for the internal combustion engine. The endurance for the electric is 50 minutes, five ohm minutes. Okay. So that, I mean, that's the, the other, the other part about it is, well, one of the things that allows an aircraft to climb and get to its destination is you're actually burning up the fuel. I mean, you send a rocket, you burn up some fuel. It gets lighter. It gets lighter and lighter and it can climb higher and higher as the, so the idea that it's the same is just simply not true. And you cannot lie with an aircraft like you can with a car. Right. Right? The car is on wheels on the ground. So those stats, those stats I told you are the absolute truth. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is not even in the same universe mm-hmm. in terms of the efficiency and the economics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so speaking of the truth, uh, a very interesting book I read, which, which I would recommend, um, is I read it just a couple months ago, is how on this very topic is how the world really works. Vaclav Schmiel, very, very smart guy. The guy's like 80 years old, like lifetime career energy researcher. Um, and, and it's a fascinating book on this, but I think the reason we're highlighting this coming back, this is just kind of like a principles of, of investment that we're talking about. I think the, the, the central point we're getting to is you have to be able to objectively look at the truth and the reality of a situation as compared to what the herd, where the herd is headed just because they are. And, and, and I think the difference between those two things um, is, is, is very, very important. And Matt, that actually takes me to, I did want to ask you this. Like, um, I, I know that over the course of your career, you've been always very careful to not get caught up in mass movements that a lot of people get wrapped up into, whether it's, you know, companies with skyrocketing valuations, purely based on speculation, um, people getting caught up in an AI movement, which by the way, I think is very powerful, but it's, it's, I'm saying, I don't think that most people actually understand it. Crypto and blockchain is another really good one, a very powerful technology people just get wrapped up in where they, they don't understand the fundamentals of it. Through all this, like you're, you always manage to stay grounded, to stay objective and have a kind of clear view of what is and isn't. How do you do that? Well, 
getting back to food, drugs, financial services, and uh, and utilities, it you know if I if I go back to I mean I, I was early in blockchain, but I was never in blockchain. Okay, I was early in understanding blockchain. I wanted to know what it was all about. I understand it implicitly, but my my question is. Who's going to use blockchain to become the lowest cost producer, and and who's going to who is going to be out of business because of blockchain? That's mm -hmm. the, as far as I'm concerned. With blockchain, everything should be done peer to peer. There should be no New York Stock Exchange or or uh, or a, an insurance company or insurance broker. Yeah. Everything should be peer to peer, whether I live in Somalia or New York City. It should make a difference. Right. That's blockchain. It's very very powerful. I think it's one of the most powerful concepts since insurance and uh, and debt. Mm -hmm. which are the two, I think, the most important uh, characteristics of what led the Western world to be so successful. Circling back to, okay, what else do we have? Well, there's blockchain technology. What do you have? We have AI now, mm -hmm. all right? We have, we have quantum computing. We have, we have synthetic biology. We have all of these things. So how is synthetic biology going to change drug discovery? Who's going to mm -hmm. win? Who's going to lose because of that? Mm -hmm. uh, who's going to, which bank is going to win because they're using AI effectively or blockchain effectively. Right. And that's so, how you're looking at these uh, macro trends. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like these things. I spent a lot of time uh, yeah. learning about them, but I want to know how they're going to disrupt the, the business that I own. Are they going to disrupt it or help it? Or right. are there, are there companies that are going to use it in, in a way that they're mm. going to disrupt all of their competitors? Yeah. Yeah, 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 and and this is distinctly different than like just quickly jumping on bandwagons. I, you know, I maybe I I don't know why, but it's just the way I'm wired. I've I've wired my myself to be excited when people are depressed, yeah. and depressed when people are excited. So I just yeah. re rewired my brain to uh, to to be to play in other backyards. The way I look at it, there's two there's two bars. One's got a lineup out the door. The one's got the other's got no lineup. They're both they're both selling the same beer. And one's half the price, and it's cold. Mm -hmm. That's where I want to go. Mm -hmm. right. A beer's a beer. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, the world is also full of, um, like Benji. I think you've got some good perspective on this. Just like the news, social media, everyone plugged into a computer all day to their phone to their Apple Watch. Um, there, there, there is a huge amount of noise and people that think they can predict the future. Characters everywhere. Um, how do you sort of not f like like where's your mentality at to not fall into these traps where the reality is the future is far from certain? Well, none of us know the future, and every every one of us thinks they know or want to know the future. And if you watch TV, if you watch all the the, the all the different shows, um, every every single person on every single show, every single story I read in every investment uh, platform. It's all people predicting the future, mm -hmm. all of it, hundred percent. People predicting the future, and they can't, and they don't know. So there they are predicting it, and people are listening at it, and and we 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 tend to do the same. So we think, okay, because this, because I know this about this, I think this is going to happen. Yeah. Now I'm going to place my my money on this outcome. Right. Well, we don't know that that's going to happen, because we don't know the future. Right. And. Even if you're right, I mean, this is a, this is a really, I, I've seen this happen many times where somebody, another investment manager, professional, has said something. I've read their reports for, they've said it for two years and what they said actually happened. But the outcome from their investing on that, on the premise of that occurring, it didn't work out. Right. 
So it's like, you know, when you're playing pool, you hit, you know, you hit the white ball into that triangle. You don't know where any of those balls are going to go. There's so many, there's so many moving parts that to, to, to place a bet on what you think is going to happen, I think is a very dangerous uh, thing to do. Yeah, very interesting. Um, awesome. So just to wrap up this section, um, the, 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 this was a good breakdown. And, and I think, again, just for listeners, this is more broadly to understand fundamental important concepts to be able to have intelligent conversations with an advisor, kind of key things from Matt. I heard, you know, own companies that make money. Again, rocket science principle is 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 basically like what companies actually has free cash flow. Companies that have low debt. If you don't have much debt, you can't go broke. Um, you talked about like larger companies, generally like billion dollar market cap or up, or if they're smaller, owning a bunch of them kind of in, in one space, um, companies that if, if it's possible, especially in something like real estate that are trading below their net asset value. Um, and, and I heard a lot of like just being careful to not get caught up in, in big trends just because people are going there and, and, and to be able to kind of dig under the surface. So th- th- those are some interesting like perspectives and viewpoints that, um, that are, that are crucial to keep in mind and, and be able to, to align on with an advisor that you have. Um, I want to ask another kind of very specific question. I know that you are quite bullish on companies that pay strong dividends so to their shareholders, just like, you know, your contracting company pays out dividends to you, large publicly traded companies that pay out dividends to the shareholders that own them. Um, why is that an important factor in what you're looking for? Well, the first is it pays my bills. Interesting. <laughs> Which I, I think is really important. I mean, I'm all kidding aside. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. But a company that pays dividends is committed. It's very, it, it's really it's really a bad thing for a company to ever cut a dividend or reduce a dividend. Mm-hmm. It gives us a certain amount of confidence about the predictability of the cash flow of that right. that enterprise that we wouldn't know otherwise. That's not because to say pushing that, it out the door. That's not to say that you couldn't find two companies that are in the same industry that are the same price to price to value metrics. One is using their cash flow for dividends. One is using their cash flow to grow the. I'm not, I'm not saying it's the it's the be all and end all, yeah. but it, it definitely. It, it's just, it's a, it's a check of the box that allows me to say, okay, well, you know, there's a company, it's, it's, it's committed to this dividend, which means it's, it's pretty comfortable with the predictability of its cash flow. Right. So for when, uh, you know, I don't know if the, what the specific dividend is of like a Bank of America that you might might bank with and pay for, but like if the Royal Bank of Canada, for instance, like if they're paying a five or 6% dividend right now, like they, you're saying they have comfort, they have enough certainty in their cash flow, in their free cash flow, to know that now and most likely in the future, they're gonna just keep paying that out to their owners. They have that. They have certainty. That's kind of what you're getting at. More certainty than than it. Yeah, they're they're giving you some confidence that there's a certainty yeah. to, to the cash flow. Yeah, good, makes sense. Um, something I read a little while ago. There's also this is interesting. Like through ups and downs of market cycles. Generally speaking, correct me if I'm wrong, from what I understand, uh, the the large batch of dividend-paying companies over decades do better than non-dividend-paying companies, uh, which is kind of another like interesting concept to your point. So it's not just that you're getting the dividend every quarter. Broadly speaking, this is going to be a sign, not always, but most of the time, that, that this is a well-run company that's going to sustain f- through fluctuations. Uh, years ago, I read an article about dividends and returns on the market, your, your, your total return. And back then, I don't know what the stat is today, but over 70% of the, your total return came from dividends. 
Very interesting. Over time. Over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and those those div on that note, those dividends do grow over time. They grew. They right? grow. Just, they grew. just like your landscape construction company might grow over time in its profitability. Yeah. There, there's companies I own now in the oil and gas uh, business that the dividend is higher than what I paid for the stock price. Hmm. Yeah. So you're over 100% annual return is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. Your annual return is over 100%. Correct. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, okay. Let's go a different direction, Matt. Let me ask you this. How do you really screw things up in this asset class? Like what are your big no-nos? Don't make these mistakes. Well, we're talking to business, uh, business people, business person kinds, if you're talking yeah. in Canada or people kind, um, the, the none of us would start a business without a five-year right. plan. Right. Okay. So number, one of the biggest mistakes I investors make is investing money. A year from now, it doesn't look like it's working out and quit. And if you talk to people like um, Peter Lynch, who ran one of the most successful uh, funds ever, says it's, uh, it's a staggering number of how many investors, even though I think the, the track record is 20, 50, plus 15% for 20 years and uh, over 75% of the investors lost money hmm. right? because they come out of the highs and they leave at the lows. Right. And so uh, time is really important. So yeah. uh, I, you know, I call it time arbitrage. You've got to be able to last longer than the other uh, investors out there and the news cycle that's going to make you feel a bit really bad about yourself. Right. Yeah. And I, I love how you open by relating that back to you as an entrepreneur. Cause it's like, would you run your, you know, general contracting company for a year and expect to be successful? Yeah. Right. Or, would, or, or would you sell your house because you just bought a house a year later, the house next door to you trades at, uh, at, um, 30% lower than what mm. you just bought your house for that you're living in. Are you going to sell your house because the house next door sold for 30% less? Are you going to say, well, I'm out. Of course yeah. you don't. You live in your house. And totally. that's why a lot of people do really well in real estate because they don't think of it in the same term. They seem to be able to really think long-term with real yeah. estate. And, but unfortunately the stock price, people's eyes are going up and down, up and down with the stock. Oh, well, I was good. I'm all about it. And, and then they lose their minds and they, they forget that the company become the, be, behind the stock ticker. Yeah. That there's a real company with real good, smart, hardworking people that is on a good platform, a good business, uh, making money. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very interesting. So don't get caught in the time trap is, is, is a huge mistake. You need to be able to think long-term just like you wouldn't have anything less than a five-year plan for a business. Correct. Cool. That, that's one. What, what's, what's another one, another big mistake to avoid? Well, if you're asking me this question, I say the fact that the people actually trade stocks. Interesting. That's a, that's, that's a huge one. You, you think about how much of this industry is set up to get us to trade. In fact, the entire industry is set up to get us to trade. Mm -hmm. The market makers, the, the commissions, the spreads, the banking, all of it is all they want us to do is trade. They just like the same way a sports book is set up to get you to bet. Like the it's whole a, thing's rigged to just show you numbers and dials and percentages. It's sort of gamified to get people to transact in some way. It's exactly that. And so consider this. We're in the car. All of a sudden, we think we're going to out-trade the car dealer. Right. So we're going to buy and sell cars outside of the dealer. We're going to buy it from the dealer and sell it to another dealer. Buy. And there's no way. We're going to lose so much money so fast. But for some reason, people think they can trade stocks against Goldman Sachs. And the other thing is, on the inside of the, these businesses, there's pro traders. They see the flow. 
the order flow, right? They, they see there's a lineup at the door to buy that stock. You don't know that. I don't know that. So right. they, they can actually they see the order flow. There's selling pressure. There's buying pressure. They have algorithms. They have machines. They have AI. There's no way that we're going to do it. I could be proved wrong, but yeah. I have not seen it in my career. So the idea that you're going to trade and make money is to me, it's a fool's errand. Yeah, as opposed to like buy a good company and hold that good company. Your, 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 yeah. your best bet is to buy a company that grows its earnings by 10% plus annualized. The stock never gets too expensive, never gets too cheap. You can own it for the rest of your life. That's your, that's, that is the, rational. That's, that's paradise right? of, of uh, being an investor. Very interesting. Uh, hit rewind 15 seconds on that one and listen, listen to that one again. That That is very important. Um, speaking of mistakes, this debt thing, is it fair to say a pretty major mistake would be to own stuff that's strapped with debt? If, if a company's got too much debt, it's happened to me before, it, 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 gets, it can get itself in a very difficult spot. Yeah. Because if there's too much debt, the cost of, the cost of um, to borrow when the company has to refinance debt... Yeah. There's no way they can they can't do it. So the banker comes along and says, "Yeah, this is, we're we're we're, uh, we're we're essentially foreclosing on your business." Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So, so then you as a stockholder are left with zero. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Tell me about uh, here's an interesting topic. We we we've talked um, in previous episodes about the importance of like some kind of geographical uh, diversification. What like do you where would you get into concerns or would you get into trouble geography related i'm glad that you say so you're circling back to our previous conversation yeah. which i kind of missed yeah um, my my philosophy or one of one of my principles and by the way i've learned everything by experience because i'm not that smart i need to be punched in the face in order to learn a lesson and maybe kicked a few times too and uh, but it's I, i've got this uh, it could be right could be wrong but I don't. I don't invest anywhere where I wouldn't feel safe walking down the street. Right. I, 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 the, the corruption in some nations is so staggering. In fact, uh, I lent money to a company at one point where everybody was corrupt. The government, the nation was corrupt. Everybody in the company was corrupt. The employees corrupt. The contractors serving that company were corrupt. And then their their the local community was stealing mm. from the company as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and we si- and sorry, sitting here in your nice Vancouver office, you cannot understand that. Is the point I think right? I I, I was gonna say like you kind of sit here in the West and you read an Economist article about how Ukraine's a corrupt country, how. Um, certain, you know, developing countries in Africa are struggling with corruption. You kind of have a sense of what the semantics of the word means, but it's very abstract and it feels like, what is it? What is that actually like as an investor? Can you wait? Can you just go deeper on that? And be like, what does that actually mean from a, from a wealth building money-making standpoint, if you're trying to uh, buy, hold and, and grow assets in a place that really suffers from this ailment? Well, uh, uh, let me let me uh, drill down further into that situation. So, well, I had legally binding contracts that we had lawyers draft up. They were they were worthless in those jurisdictions. Right. Okay. So it's it's just it's a non-starter. There are companies that oh, so if you're McDonald's, okay, McDonald's operates in every company country in the world. Well, their Russian assets are worth zero, right? Big deal. Okay, it's a big enough company operating in various different different. Are they actually? Yeah, they, I think somebody's Russian company. Same with the Starbucks, right? They and, pulled and, out. Yeah, they, yeah, but they didn't pull out really. The Starbucks did, but the somebody else bought it for a dollar and, and right. essentially operating it right. 
pretty much the, the signs even look the same. Right. Right. <laughs> but the, but your assets have gone to zero. So if that was a single investment for you, your your assets just went to zero. Mm. And so we have to trust. You know, in life, some of the I think biggest mistakes a lot of us make as human beings, mm-hmm. we we project onto others that they're just like us. So if you are a hard worker, you expect everybody, you just think everybody's a hard worker. Well, they're not. Some of the most dishonest people are the people that don't trust you. Yeah. That's a really, like I've, I've learned, it's, it's taken me years to learn these lessons. If someone doesn't trust me, they're projecting because huh. they are, they're, they're assuming you're just like them. So they're dishonest. That's, it's really interesting to hear you say that in your comment about like what's happened in Russia's is interesting. You're, you, when you say it like this, um, I wouldn't invest anywhere. I wouldn't feel safe walking around. The practical takeaway is if you're working with an advisor or someone who says, I've got a really cool opportunity in war-torn Sierra Leone. Are you interested? <laughs> the answer is no. Like you're, you're looking for places that are safe. The rule of law still exists. A contract is a contract. You know what I mean? Like these are important fundamentals that we kind of take for granted in this part of the world and can't really imagine what it'd be like to try to function from a PL perspective, from a business operations perspective, where those things don't exist. It's, it's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Super interesting. So um, to tie this together on the note of mistakes, I think l- let's just review them because we, we went through some really good stuff again in context to talking with your advisor. We talked about this whole time trap concept and time arbitrage. Just know that there are that most people are not able to sustain the ups and downs. Therefore, if you can, generally speaking, you're going to win. So mistake number one is you're too short-term minded. Um, good quote by Warren Buffett. If you trade a lot, I want to be your broker, not your client. I remember that one from when we talked before. So that's really good. Um, don't own stuff with a ton of debt. Makes it risky. Um, and don't own companies that are where the majority of their business is in a place that you wouldn't want to walk down the street. Did I, did I say that right That's there? pretty good. There we go. Pretty good. Let but, me add one more to the mix. Just I, I know that we were talking about dividends earlier uh, and dividends being a good sign of cash flow predictability and, the, and, and a company being comfortable to pay you, the shareholder, that dividend. That does need one step additional of analysis, though, doesn't it? Inter- like Companies can pay a dividend with cash that they don't have. Is that correct? It, it often happens. It it doesn't doesn't happen at, at the beginning, but mm-hmm. you'll you'll see you know a company a, a company's free cash flow is is a dollar a share, and they're paying out fifty cents a share. Fine, okay, they're yeah. paying fifty percent of their free cash flow that they're using the other fifty percent to, to reinvest. Uh, reinvest, pay down debt, or what have you. Yeah. Uh, but you'll have you have cases where the company's earnings start to drop. But they don't want to cut their dividend. They don't the want optics. to cut the dividend. They is want it to optics? The, well, it's a, if, if a company cuts its dividends, the stock gets annihilated. Yeah, and, and it, not it, a good it, look. Without, without question, because that company that's owned, it's owned by mom and pop, guys like me, and all the dividend funds out there. The dividend funds. And the dividend funds, when the dividend is cut, they're going to dump it. Remember, the institutions own most of the stock out there, right? right. So the comp- company's no longer got its dividend. They got to dump it. And there's, there's the, the one thing determines the direction of, of a stock is uh, more buyers than sellers or more sellers than buyers. Yeah. And those things go into free fall. 
Yeah. Very good. Uh, okay. So yeah, th- that's good. So, so we talked about three big mistakes. We'll add that as a fourth. When there's a, a strong dividend, you need to look one level under the surface on that, what we might call like a dividend payout ratio of their earnings. Like what percentage is the dividend if it's over a hundred? Not so mm. good. Um, awesome. All right. This is really great guys. I love the simplicity of this conversation. Like literally everything we've talked about is like such basic concepts. With all of that said, the analysis to actually execute on this on a bunch of companies is quite complex. If you're running your contracting business, you are generally speaking, I think, quite busy and focused on that. It is still important to have a good advisor on your side. Matt, what what is your perspective on, you know, if you are in the shoes of the smart driven contractor where most of their headspace goes between their business and their family and their travel and their adventures, but but they want to diversify and buy good companies, what, what might, like, how do you qualify, you're having coffee with a prospective advisor, what kind of conversations are you having with this individual to figure out whether they really know their stuff when it comes to value investing and whether they see things the way that you do? That's a tough question. I've never hired an advisor. Huh. Uh, the, 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 I think the first thing I would say about advisor advisors is is they, they want to help you. I mean, they're, that, they're good people. The lion's share of advisors are trying to do their absolute best for their mm-hmm. clients. It's the, the, the question then becomes, are they skilled enough? Do they have the ability to... Uh, get through these ups and downs and so on. And really, the the job of the advisor, seriously, the the job of advisor, if you ask any advisor out there, my job is to ensure that my client stays invested through the downs. So it's a mental coaching game. That's it. So you want that person... You've got to understand that the advisor is just a, they're they're in business just like you and they're motivated by building their business, which means uh, growing their assets under management and they charge fees and that's how they they, make a percentage of them. And that's how they make money and that's fine. Uh, But their fees can also eat tremendously away your investment return. Yeah. You can imagine when, when investment management fees were one and a half percent and the the long bond rate was 2%. Mm -hmm. So after tax, I think you're pretty much uh, net zero. Yeah. So, it you know fees are important, and it, a lot of advisors use uh, exchange traded funds now. Um, I, I think it's probably from what where I they can would tell. just put you in them. They put you in them, and then charge a fee. But there's also a fee charged within the exchange traded fund as well. So you've got to know. I think it's really important. I think the most important thing to know is exactly what you're paying mm. for what you're getting. Mm. Right. Because because it's one of these things that's, and, and, and I know this just from years of, of, of having, and, and I think they're very good advisors, which by the way, they never talk to me because I've never sold stocks. So that's probably, they probably don't worry about me. They have other people to worry about. They're too coach. busy making money. Yeah. So um, the, the, the this is interesting because, you know, typically when you make a transaction, like you're talking about your TELUS bill, your phone bill, like, like you see it come out, you pay it. This is implicit. They kind of just take it out from the pool of cash. And so I think a lot of people don't actually understand like what they are paying within that because you might have the mutual fund manager yeah. taking the fee and then they and then they distribute it. And then on top of that fee, you will have investment advisors. Yeah, but that's not factored fee. into the dashboard that you look at when Correct, you log in. The they mention it, they mention it in brief when you meet when you yeah. shake their hands for the first time and then it's buried down there in fine yeah. print. So what you're seeing is sort of 
post fees post most fees. of the time. Always. Yeah. And so that's where people forget And on mutual funds, it. when and you're seeing returns, you're seeing those returns post fees. Correct. Which again, what we're saying is there's nothing that's wrong fine. with that. Everyone needs to make money. How do we make money as a, as, as a painting contractor? But you should go in eyes wide open. But you should know what it mm-hmm. is. And, and I think, Matt, your point is kind of like, like, are you getting the coaching value and the guidance on how you need to think mentally and to go through these ups and downs effectively for what you're paying? Is that is that kind of fair to say? I, I would, I, yes. And I would add that probably one of the 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 real value, the best value that an advisor provides is ensuring that everything's in the right boxes from it for to generate the highest after tax return. Mm. That's so that, there's that, a tax component. There's to this. extremely um, important tax component because you know what's 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 the use of getting a you know a ten percent return that's taxed at ninety percent? Yeah, you know you it, it's you you're way better off to to concentrate on your after tax returns over time. Yeah, and 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 there's complex structural stuff that I think would be difficult for you to understand as a busy entrepreneur. That that they probably can. Yeah, you know it's 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 very very interesting. So it's good. So when when you're sitting with your advisor. Like just do understand like what is the cost of this and 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 what value you're getting for that. Yeah. So I, I, I get, here an example. I, I you know if I were an advisor, like I was buying, um, I was buying U.S. Uh, or American um, limited partnership uh, midstreamers. Yeah. And that was all good until they changed the rules last year, and I didn't notice. Right. Essentially, the tax rules. They, yeah, and so they were taxing ten percent when you left that company. When you when I you know I bought a stock at ten. I sold it at 10. I got nine bucks back because the IRS took a buck. Right. Right. Like I noticed that, oh, whoa, yeah. bad as me, but that happened. And to as me. a busy entrepreneur, I, I, there's no way I could actually like inquire into these complexities. Exactly. Benji, were you going to say something? I wondered if you could give us some advice on spotting bullshit artists. We asked you a question. Hey, how do you know if you like, what are your thoughts on getting a good advisor? You've been in the space a long time. You've interacted with a lot of people. You've brought up the idea of trust a bunch of times. Do you, are there any dead giveaways that you see out there? We go, this guy's a joker. I wouldn't work with him. Well, I mean, the, the first thing I would look is make sure they're well qualified in terms of they actually have the, 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 the papers like a chartered financial analyst or in Canada, you've got the CIM, the, it, you know, they've got a financial plan. I mean, they've got all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, they're, you're, they're going to be out there, but that's between, you know, that's a character judgment. And I've hoped that most people have been raised well enough by their parents to judge Spot character. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, it, that's the most important thing. If, if we can always deal with people of good character in our lives, we're going to have blessed lives. So I think that's a really important, just forget up, forget investing. Like get it, get it right everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's well said. Awesome. Matt, in closing, I've got a, just a, a fun, interesting question for you. If you were to hypothetically have a book, if you wrote a book for about your investing mindset and what's important, um, and, and it was kind of geared for smart entrepreneur investors, what would be your closing piece of advice on the last page of that book? My thought is the most important thing is to really understand that none of us have a clue about the future. We really got to get that because we're going to think, I still think it today. I may, I make these, okay, uh, this was, no, it's not going to, it's not going to work out that way. It may, it may not. So my motto, my investment motto is expect the unexpected and expect the unexpected to happen when the unexpected happens. We have no clue. Make sure you're in good quality companies in various different sectors that have decent dividends, that have a, a trend of, of those dividends growing over time. They're honest. They don't have too much debt. Just be safe. Otherwise, 
the title of my book would be called Investment Hunger. <laughs> awesome. And, and, the, and, and, and just practically speaking, so what, like, what does that mean? So, so if I, if, if I can sit with that and truly understand it, and, and I think I can, because I feel that in business all the time, like you just, you get punched in the face so many times with so many unexpected, what does that mean with investing? Are you saying don't pigeonhole into some idea or some hypothesis or some thesis that you're so bullish on that you pigeon? Is that kind of what you're saying is like, like you need to diversify a bit and de-risk? Is that the message? My message is, uh, you know, you could go heavy into uh, EVs, electric vehicles. Okay, you could do that. It might work out. But if you studied the bicycle manufacturing business from uh, the turn of the century in motorcycles, you realize, or the, even the auto industry for that yeah. matter, most of them don't exist anymore. Most of them didn't exist that long. So they're all going to fight it out. They're all going to kill each other's margins. They're probably all going to lose money. Buy Goodyear Tire. Because they're all going to need tires. Right. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of things you don't know. Look for things that rationally make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Benji, anything else, man? Well, I just I just would echo what Matt's saying. I think, I think what I'm hearing is there's a, a comment there about humility and watching your arrogance and watching the human propensity to think you understand what's going on. You really don't. Um, and... Uh, you know, not to bring everything back down to a to a sports analogy, but you know, every week you play fantasy football, you set your lineup and you let the games do what they're going to do. You can't sit there and think that this receiver is going to do more and this guy's going to do less. Your your ability to reliably predict is so incredibly humbling when you look at what actually happens cycle after cycle after cycle. So we can talk about this in the investment realm, but it's it's a broader comment about just life here on earth, which is that nobody has a fucking clue what's going on or what will happen. And the people that do or say they do are the ones you should probably trust the least. And I found that to be really useful advice in my life. So I don't know. That's that's maybe a closing comment from me. Awesome. I, I think it's correct. Cool. Awesome. Matt, thank you so much for for joining us today on the show. I love the simplicity of this conversation and 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 the fundamentals that you talk about. And and I think uh, from an investment perspective, as, as as business owners, we need to just look at all these companies the way that that it, that is not so dissimilar from your business, and and be able to have just very rational conversations with our advisors. So thank you very much. Thanks, thank Matt. Thanks. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.